Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Successful Mind Podcast, where David and I are discussing the need to be liked, which can be quite the Achilles heel, especially if you're a business owner. Give it a listen and let us know what you think. Successful people learn how to make their minds work for them. We are Life Is Now, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Howdy. How you doing? Good. Happy uh, mid-January. Can you believe we're in January already? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, we operate on Nagel time. Like, time is, is what do you say? Time is a construct? I guess you don't say that. Most people say that time is a construct, but it's crazy how fast time goes. Yeah, it is. It, right? it really like, is amazing how fast it goes. Although I will tell you this, I have a, I have a, a, sh- a shameless admission here. Yeah, admission. For whatever reason, January is the longest month of the year for me. It I think feels like it's agree. never going to end. I think, I mean, I like January because it's my birthday month. Yes, it's your birthday month. And right? It, right. Like, yes, it's so. my birthday month, so I'm fond of January. But I will I will say that I've heard from a lot of people that they feel like January is the longest month. I mean, it, it's the coldest. It's the darkest. It's the, you know, it, I mean, it's not the shortest yeah. days. December is the shortest right. days. But it's. It's kind of coming, and it's also the slump after all of the like hoo ha right, of the holidays. Right, yeah, right. So it's like you're in. And there's this, an energy like, drop. Yeah, there's an energy drop. There's a sugar crash that happens after all the. You have to ramp up and go back to work for stuff. a lot of people. It's yeah. an interesting. There's yeah. a lot going on in January. I guess I never really think about how much is changing in in January. It's a big it's a big change. I've got uh, my daughter. I have a daughter who has a birthday. In January, you have a birthday. It's in January. You guys are almost double dippers, you know. I know because you're coming Christmas off of is so Christmas. Close. So right? close. I know. Yeah. I had a great. I had a great birthday week. So I'm. I'm still. I'm still. Uh, in the glow of my my birthday week in the Bahamas. Um, okay. So last week we did a really. I thought it was. I mean, not to toot our own horn, but I thought it was a damn good podcast on identity shifts. Yeah. And in that, I just kind of like offhand mentioned the need to be liked. Right. While I heard from people that, yes, they want to know more information about what this need to be liked is and how it plays a role in their psyche and in their business. So I think we should talk about that. Yeah. It's a big thing. So I want to start this interview style because you're, you're kind of an expert at this. Um, It's something that you've been teaching around for many, many years. I mean, over 20 years in terms of you know, the psychology of, of who you need to be to be successful in business. And I kind of, you know, really in short order fashion last week said, you know, one of your one of an entrepreneur's biggest Achilles heels is the need to be liked. Yep. So I'm just going to I'm just going to open the floor for you to to you to like do your magic on what this means. Like, what is this need to be liked and what does where did it come from? Like, what what is this thing that we call the need to be liked? Yeah, it's. It's really interesting. And um, another thing that's interesting about it is that I very often run into people, including myself in this, and I'll explain why, that don't think that they have that issue. 
and I'll never forget. This was one of those. This was one of those punch in the face um, co- uh, conversations I had with Proctor when I was coaching. Those are the him. best kind. <laughs> like he would have these ones where it was just like it wasn't a jab. It was just like a right hook to the jaw thing. So I'm, ha- I'm having a conversation with him. I'm on the phone, and I'm talking about my sales calls, and um, I was doing sales calls that were probably about. I don't know, 45 minutes, something like that. And he said to me, why are you on the phone so long? And I was doing this, I was doing a strategy where you kind of send out a questionnaire, they, they fill it out, send it back, and you do a little free coaching on this thing. So this was your sales strategy. This was, this, this was part of my sales strategy okay. for okay. some things. And it kept, and it was, it took about 20 minutes to go through it. And he said to me, why are you doing that? And my, my answer was, well, I think they appreciate it. And he said to me, oh, so you need to be appreciated. And I was like, you mf'er, like, seriously, I never, I didn't see that coming. Um, I'm still today kind of shocked that that was my response. I think they appreciate it. Like I did not have like, what the hell kind of a business response is that, right? That is not a business response. Yeah, it, it, it's not, well, this gives me the information that I need to know if I can help them. Exactly, it was exactly. Because they appreciate it. That's right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I had said <laughs> what you just said, yeah. I think his response would have been very much different because yeah. he might say, tell me about that. Why do you think that? Let's see if that's true. But that's not what I said. Um, and it was an unconscious response, which was fantastic because it opened a door to something that I was having trouble with which was the, the need to be liked. And I think because I grew up on the streets of Chicago, there was two dimensions of me. Um, and one was the tough guy that needs to survive on the street that could give a fuck what anybody thought. I mean, there's that, there is that part of my personality. But then there's the other side where uh, I want the people that I love to like me. You know what I mean? And the idea was, as a child, it was all about the feedback that you got for doing things for people of the appreciation to, toward you, right? So like my, my grandmother and my mother, I would say more my grandmother than my mother because my mother could be really cold in the way that she, that she did this. She was, not as, she was not as giving as my grandmother was, but my grandmother was overgiving to a point where I think that it was very unhealthy. And every time you did something, it was you would just like lush appreciation on you for what it is that you did. So you wanted to do more for her, right? Like everybody wanted to do do things for her. And this idea of being liked was really riveted into my conscious. The 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 other part of me came more out of a survival thing because it wasn't like it wasn't like um, I didn't want to be liked with friends and people on the street and stuff like that. It was that I was thrust into a situation as a kid that I didn't expect. It was a, I went from, so I was born and raised in Chicago, but for three years, in a very important three-year three, three year period of time, we moved to Phoenix, yeah. and we were on the very outskirts. So it was kind of like living on a farm. It was like living rural. It was very, very super rural. super isolated. So, yeah. So it was kind of like dirt bike riding, and, you know, it wasn't inner city, uh, understanding how the inner city worked and then it was like wham you're right back into the in the city at a much different age 
right? You're going through puberty. You're in the city. You're getting ready. You're going to high school. You're going to a tough high school. T- yeah, very. <laughs> so it it was a, it was a huge culture shock to do mm-hmm. that, and it was kind of like, okay, you have to develop this persona, persona to survive there because there nobody's going to like you know yeah. anything different. But then when I got into business and I had this experience with Bob, I realized I realized something. Um, and I don't exactly remember, I don't know if there was like one specific time that I realized this, but it, I think it happened over a short period of time, which was if I'm focused on being liked, I'm losing my ability to influence people. I think that's a really important statement. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's, you know, for me, that's what happened. And I think as we work with individuals in business, one of the things that we see is that they're more focused on whether or not I'll like them and how it infiltrates almost every decision that they make. And they don't realize that they're actually pushing business away. So I can't remember if you've told the Herbie story on a podcast before, <laughs> but I think your Herbie story is the perfect example of this need to be liked. Yeah, you want me to tell the Herbie story? Coming into the, I think so. Because I think, I honestly think a lot of people will have light bulbs go off because of this story. You've got people on the the podcast right now thinking, I don't have a need to be liked. This isn't me. Sometimes it's hard to see for yourself, right? Until you hear a story and you're like, oh, that sounds... That oh, it was familiar. a huge, yeah, it was a huge wake up call for me, that, that story. It was, it was a big turning point in, in, major, in who you major. were in terms it, of sales. It was one of the most significant turning points in me becoming successful was that story. Well, now you have to tell the story. Okay. So I was, when I was working, when I was working in the, in the petroleum company, I got introduced to a network marketing company that, um, that's a whole nother story, that introduction. So I won't get into that. but. I was, I was working this. I was really intrigued about what this was. And what was cool about network marketing was that they gave everybody a system, right? So you join, you learn, you understand how it works, and you get a system to work to be successful. And if you work that system, the idea is that you'll be successful. Part that I was missing was that I didn't know that I needed to change my identity like we talked about <laughs> last week um, in, order to, in order to make this system really actually work. Yeah. So at about a year and a half in, I, I was, I stuck, I hit a plateau. I was not moving and I couldn't figure out why I wasn't moving. I'm like, I am doing A, B, C, D, like A to Z on this. I'm doing everything this thing says to do. And I'm like mediocre, but I'm not really breaking through what's going on. So one of the things that I had learned was that if you, um, uh, if you're stuck, you know, go seek out somebody that has been where you are. And they now have, you know, they're a million miles away from you. They have the success. They know all the stuff and ask their advice. So in, uh, for those of you that, that are, aren't familiar with network marketing, they have things called legs, right? It's the, the people that signed you up and then the people that signed them and them and them and them. And it goes all the way. It creates a leg. It's called a leg of uh, distributors. And eventually there's somebody at the top of that leg. And that's usually the one that's the most successful within your leg. And they're making the most money. And we had a guy who was just incredible. He was an incredible leader. He was uber successful, you know, multiple six-figure months consistently. Um, Great, great guy. I had never met him, but I had watched him speak many times. So I thought, 
okay, this guy's coming. He's coming to Chicago. I'm going to go see him speak, and I'm going to try to figure out a way to meet this guy. I'd become actually really good at that, which is another story. But I'm going to figure out a way to meet this guy, and I'm going to ask him what my problem is. So I had to wait around pretty much all day for everything him to get done speaking and everything, and, and I, I got into a position where I got to meet him, and I asked him this question. I said, listen, I'm doing everything that you tell us to do. I said, I've been doing it for about a year and a half. I'm completely stuck. I'm not moving forward. Can you give me any advice? And his response to me was this, you don't want it bad enough. And he turned around and walked away. And I, Steph, I felt like somebody punched me in the gut. I was so hurt. Like my first reaction was Because you felt hurt. like you really did want it bad I enough. I did, yes, yes. Like I'm like, I'm doing everything that they say. I figured out how to meet this guy. I'm asking this question. I'm going, you know, next level. You're just thinking this guy's an asshole. And, and that's my first thought. This guy's the biggest jag off. <laughs> That I've ever, I'm sure from Chicago. So if you're from Chicago, you're a jag off, right? You're an asshole in California and Chicago, you're a jag off. Yes. So I'm thinking this guy's a total jerk. And I was so pissed. I, w I left, I left. I, this was supposed to be a two day thing. I left and I started driving home and I had about an hour and a half drive home. And for the first, I don't know, 20 minutes, I'm just calling this guy every name in the book in my head. I was smoking mad. And then about halfway home, I thought, I calmed down, right? I kind of got that out of my system. And a voice in my head said, what if he's right? What if you don't want it bad enough? What if that actually is the problem? And I was having a hard time with it because I, I felt like I wanted it bad enough. I wasn't making excuses. I was doing the things that they said to do. I had, had, I had to overcome a lot of bad habits that I had, like talking to strangers and, you know, to be able to go out and, and recruit people. And I'm thinking, okay, where would that, so if that was true, if I didn't want it bad enough, where, how would I know that? Where would that show up? And immediately what came to my mind was this story about a dog named Herbie. And so here's, let me tell you this story about this Herbie dog, right? Yes. So here's, so here's the thing. Our, our house where we lived was kitty corner right? Across, across an, an intersection. This is a, in a, in a private community, right? This, this couple um, lived over there and they had a dog and the dog's name was Herbie. He was a little dachshund. And for years, every day, twice a day, they would walk Herbie around the block. And all the kids, my kids were little at the time, right? And or, we were a neighborhood full of kids. It was kids everywhere. It was just middle-class parents, yeah, yeah. all kids. Yeah. All the kids came out, would come out as her, when her Herbie was coming by in the, in the summertime and say hi to Herbie. Everybody loved Herbie. So this is right before this conference, maybe I was like a week or two before this conference. Um, I'm sitting in, in my converted bedroom into an office and it, my window faced the front yard in the, in the street. And I see them walking Herbie in a wagon, in a Red Rider wagon. Right, he's not walking. He's in the wagon. He's sitting in the wagon. He's sitting in the pulled. wagon. He's being pulled, <laughs> and all the kids are coming out and everything. So I, I stopped what I was doing, and I went out there to talk to them. And I'm like, "Hey, what's what's the deal with Herbie? What's going on?" And they go, "Oh, you know, he's getting older, and he's having some problems with his hips, and he's having a little incontinence issue, and you know, he or no, he's having a problem with his hips, and it's hard for him to walk all the way around the block. But he still loves to go out and see all the kids. Right, that was mm -hmm. the deal." And I said, um, I said, hey, listen, I've got something that might be able to help with that. I said, can I stop by after work? 
and and show you. And they were like, yeah, sure. So it such so happened the company that I worked for uh, had health products. And one of the products they had was this, uh, was called a pet pad. And it was a, a pad for dogs to lay on that whatever was in the pad reduced inflammation and helped circulation. And it was supposed to help with things like what this dog was going through. So I went over to their house that night and I brought it and I said, Let, you know, here's this thing or whatever. And I explained it. And their response was, no, thank you. And I was like, really? No, thank Like, no, thank you. Yeah, we're not, we're really not interested, but thanks for, for coming by. Now, I know these people for years, right? I know these people a long time. So I turned around and left. I'm like, okay. And I was thinking to myself, why would they not want to help this dog? Like, what is the deal with that? But any, yeah. whatever, they said no. So I left. So now I go to this conference and I'm on my way home and I'm thinking to myself, if I didn't want this bad enough, how would this, how would this show up? And instantly I thought about this interaction with Herbie. And I'm thinking, I'm not fighting for what it is that I'm selling. I'm not taking a stand for the value of what it is that I have here to help somebody get past their possibly ignorant objections as to why they would you know, not want to buy something. And I'm running this through my head. And all of a sudden, Steph, I start to see it everywhere. I'm seeing it in every freaking conversation that I'm having that as soon as the person puts up their their no. Their no, right? It could be it could be an objection. It could be a reason. It could be an obstacle, whatever it might be. I'm just going, okay, it's this isn't a sale. Right. And I'm not doing anything else. I'm not even trying to overcome it. I'm not trying to get clarity on it. Nothing. I'm not doing anything with it, right? I didn't know. I didn't understand this part of the deal. Right. So I said, okay, I start, I see this. By the time I get home, I'm convinced now that this guy, Al, was absolutely correct. And here's where my, here's where the proof is that I don't want it bad enough. Yeah. So I went home I, I and I'm like, I am going to sell that pet pad. Because you, know, you know it can help Herbie. Like, because I know it can help Herbie. Yeah, I was 99% sure yeah. it, this, that it would, help, it would help Herbie. And I always did it in a way where it was like, if you try this and this doesn't work, like, I'll, take, I'll take it back and give you a refund. Like, there's not, you know, I'm not going to make you buy something that, that doesn't work. I really believed in this. So I, I got the pet pad and I marched across the street, knocked on the door. George comes to the door and he sees, the first thing he sees is the pad in my hand. He's like, David, we told you we really weren't interested. And he went to like kind of back up like he was going to close the door. And I just stepped into his house. I just walked right in. So first rule of breaking need to be liked. You don't need to be invited. You don't need right? to be invited. Like you, that was a big thing for you to you, just, even that, even that thing, you just stepped into his house without, like that's, that's a risk right there right. to your it's, need to be it's liked. It's a huge risk. Okay. It's a huge risk. Now, today I would know how to do that a little bit more eloquently right, right. than I did then. But I, but I needed to get, I needed to break through this based on what I had, like yes. no excuses. Right. Yes. So I just step into the house and I said, I said, let me, I want to talk to you and Sandy again about something. I said, just, just hear me out. So we go into the kitchen and they're like, what is this? And I'm like, I'm like, George, I'm telling you, I really think this thing will work for Herbie, whatever. I'm, I'm staying my spiel. And here's, here's like a very interesting thing. It's like, what you don't know that you don't know. Yeah. And he says to me, he goes, look, her, th- he said, the reason we don't want to buy it is Herbie has an incontinence problem. And if he pees on it, he's going to ruin it. Now, 
the fact that they're actually telling me that really showed me that they didn't believe that it was going to work in the first place. So they're like, well, they're going to give it to Herbie. Herbie's going to piss on it. Then we're not going to be able to get a refund. It's not going to work. We would do it out of just being kind to right. David, right? right? But then, you know, we would ask for we would ask for a refund back. But if he's going to soil it and then it's ruined, we're not going to get a, yeah. a refund. Yeah. And I said, I said, okay, I understand. I said, I understand what you're saying. I said, so here's the deal. I want you to buy this. I want you to write me a check for this right now. And I said, and I want you to try this for seven days. And if it makes absolutely no difference, I don't care what condition it's in, I'll buy it back from you. And he pulled out his checkbook and he wrote me a check. <laughs> it was like, done, no brainer, done. And I was like, holy shit, holy shit. I saw my own, I, I saw myself walk through my own stopping strategy, like my own sabotage strategy, not even knowing, right? It was like, oh my God, if you'll just be a little bit more confident, if you'll be just a little bit more bold, if you'll just ask a little bit more, this is what the result, this is, this is how big the result can be for this. And, I, and so then they did and get the, here's the thing. Two days later, Herbie was walking down the street again. They oh. never, I never had to buy it back. That's a true story. Herbie was walking. They were floored. They were absolutely floored. They, it brought the inflammation down in his hips. He could walk. He wasn't in pain. And, you know, he lived great for, for a few more years, right? He was an older dog, but it really did work, which made me feel really good oh, yeah. because everybody loved Herbie. I mean, these were friends of ours, yeah. right? We, you, you know, you're like, you have your, your chili in the fall and you have garage sales and everything. We all knew each other. Yeah. The, my son used to go water skiing with them uh, in the summer during the day, right? So, I mean, it was, we all knew each other very, very well. We were, we were a pretty close community. and. It felt good that I did this, and it felt good that I did it in a way where I made an impact. And to, when I went home and I thought about this, and it stayed in my mind for such a long time, like think about how much you're losing because you're not stepping into your own confidence and your own boldness and your ability to ask for what you want and your ability to articulate what it is that you have and overcome these objections and actually help people. It expanded my knowledge around sales. like infinitely it was it made such a profound difference in my mind which then led to you know just a, a ton more success because i saw where i was actually stopping and i was and i realized that the whole idea behind it was i didn't want anybody to be upset with me well that goes back to our middle class upbringing yes right like you don't it's not socially acceptable for you to question someone's decisions <laughs> no. Or especially that would be rude, <laughs> right? And people don't like rude people, which means you wouldn't belong. Which means, I mean, you just follow that down the rabbit hole, right? Right. But I mean, when you talk about even even having the money conversation, like write me a hundred, write me write me a check, right? Yeah. That is, that's bold. That's bold. Considering both of our upbringings, right? Yeah. Like if someone said I didn't have money for that, okay, I understand. Right. It's not socially acceptable for you to push back against someone who says, I can't afford it or I don't want to pay for it or, you know, anything else. But when you run your own business and you're in sales, that question is actually the questioning someone's objections is actually where where the power is. Yep. And where someone actually realizes that you can help them. Yes. Because you're willing to ask the diff you're willing to ask those difficult questions. Well, you know what? So if you think about it like this is I I still think this is just so fascinating because it is a real skill that adults need to have in life to be able to get things done. 
The world's not just going to give up for whatever it is that you need. Sometimes you got to fight for what it is that you need, whether it's in business or not. But where is it that you're taught this as a child? It's all about conformity as a child. So I got to tell you, when you were first talking about this, I was, I was listening to you, but I had a huge flash. Like I had a huge flash of a memory of mine. And it wasn't of me as a small child. It was of my oldest as a small child. So get this. Bailey, who's now 21, going to be 22, was probably three. Okay. And we were at my grandmother's house. Now my grandmother was Norwegian. She's like very concerned about what people think about her. Yeah. Right. And she was one of those women, grandma, I know that you've passed away. I love you dearly, but I'm saying this. She was one of those people that would be really nice to you, to your face, and then completely destroy the person behind their back, right? Like she had no self-esteem for herself. We were visiting her for Christmas one year, and both the girls were very, very little. Emma was an infant, and Bailey was like three years old. And I was just coming into being aware of my need to be liked. I mean, I, I was crippled by my need to be liked for a very, very long time. and. Bailey was pitching a fit. She's three. She was pitching a fit. Like she was, she didn't want to do something she didn't want to do. I don't know if it was like I wanted to braid her hair for Christmas and she wouldn't let me or whatever. <laughs> she, she was being oppositional. Let's just put it. She was being three, right? Yeah, yeah. And my grandma got down. Brandon, you got to tell me if you remember this. My grandma got down on her hands and knees and she looked at Bailey and she said, stop that. Nobody likes a nasty girl. Like just like that. And my dad was standing there and my aunt was, and I was standing there and everyone just, it was like all the air in the room got sucked out. And I think a light bulb went off for my aunt because she was raised by my grandma. Right. And a huge light bulb went off for me like, oh, wow. so this is part, like, this is my lineage. And here she is like saying this to my three-year-old. And I, I was like, I can't remember exactly how I responded, but it was like, how old would well, you we're not worried about, we're you not worried about people. You were in your early 20s? I was in my early, mid. In your 20s? I was in my late 20s. Mid to late 20s, I was 30 when I had, I was 30 when I had, I was probably 30 or 31. It was when I was just starting to realize like okay. what mindset was, when I was just starting to, to have my own, my own business. Nobody um, likes a nasty girl. Nobody really. likes that, a nasty that, those girl. Those words. Those words. Those exact oh, words. Yeah, I think we nobody were all likes, in kind of shock We by were it. all so shocked. Nobody likes a nasty right. girl. And she said it with like. Conviction. It wasn't nasty. It was witchy. She used the word witchy. Yeah, witchy. witchy. Yeah. Nobody that's likes true. a witchy girl. Yeah, now, now it's all coming back. I and remember that. I was just like, oh, damn. That's where this comes from. Like, whoa. So you got to be liked. Right? And. I don't think Bailey, Bailey doesn't remember that she was three, right? But I just remember thinking, well, we're not really concerned with what, you know, being a witch. And I know my dad actually, my dad said something to my grandma about it. Like, I remember him speaking up, which was, that was an anomaly in and of itself. Um, but yeah, that, that, when we were talking about the need to be liked, I had completely forgotten that that, yeah. that happened. But in my family, it was, being liked was everything. I mean, I would go to school. And my mom would say, oh, did you get a compliment on that thing you were wearing? Or did you get a compliment? I mean, it was all about getting appreciation from others to know that I was okay because that's, because she didn't have the self-esteem and her mother right. didn't have, like it was ingrained in my upbringing that you need to be liked. So much so that 
you couldn't make decisions for yourself, right? Because how do I make decisions for myself if I'm constantly thinking about if other people are going to like me? I'd yeah. want to know what they would, what decision they would make. Right, right. Well, you know, I'm thinking about this as you're saying it. I'm thinking to myself, it's really interesting where this would have started because if you study, if you study like the hill tribes and stuff, almost every almost every society, if you go back far enough, had rites of passage for people where they actually learned how to do these things. This was a natural re reaction for your daughter, like for her to actually to insist, right? That's part of the human condition to do that. They, it gets trained out of them. But here's, here's something that I never thought of before, but I, was, but I thought of this when you were saying this. So my, my great-grandparents were the first ones here from Italy in, in, our, in my genealogy. Mm -hmm. And my great-grandmother and grandfather, who I never met my great-grandfather, but, but my great-grandmother was alive for, for several years in my youth. She didn't speak any English at all. She only spoke Italian. And my grandparents spoke fluent Italian, but they never spoke Italian around us. A occasional word or here, here or there you'd okay. pick up on. Yeah. But I remember asking my grandparents, why don't you speak Italian? Like, why don't you teach us Italian? Because right? they could have totally oh, raised have us bilingual very yeah, easily. Yeah. You know, because so at cool. early age when you could pick up totally. different languages, yeah. you could learn four or five languages yeah. in a year. And here's what they told me. Because it wasn't allowed when they came over from the old country, right? That this is what this is what my grandfather was was saying. He said when when my parents he said when my parents came over from the old country, outside of the they only only we could only speak uh, English. We could not speak Italian because you had to meld with the community. You had to get along. You had to remove everything that was different about you and learn to mix into America in a way where you're not rejected and you're accepted. So it's about belonging. Because every, because belonging, well, yes, being accepted, it's being liked, right? Every generation that comes over, whether it's the Italians or the Irish or the Jews or the Polish or whatever, whatever race comes over, they're rejected by everybody else at first because they're the immigrants. Yeah. So the immigrants were treated horribly. All of them were treated horribly when they first came over. They were treated horribly until a new set of immigrants came from a different country. And, and they weren't the immigrants anymore. <laughs> right. It's like the new kid at school. Right? Yeah, yeah. You get picked on until the next new kid come, right. comes into school. Yes, yes. Right. And I remember my grandfather saying this. And he was like, no, my parents had a hard, fast rule. You couldn't speak Italian. Like, you could only speak Italian to them, but for everything else, you had to speak English. So they knew Italian because they had to communicate with mom and dad, but everything else that they did was English. You were, they were not allowed to speak Italian. And it was so that they would not be seen as being different in any way from other people in America, and they wouldn't be judged, and they would be able to get you know jobs. I mean, there were, re there were reasons behind this in their mind. But I, because I, I, I think you've heard me say this before. Like, I'm not exactly sure when this change took place. But it took place over time. And I can see it. I see when I study, I see it pop up in culture in different places at different times for various different reasons. And it usually shows up with like there's a king or a dictator or a ruler or something like that. And if you don't obey what this person says, the, the circumstances for that could be horrific, right? So people tend to ch they change their speech. They change what they want, what you can say, like all of that. But when did it start? 
because that's not the natural human condition as you're expressing with Bailey. Like Bailey was going to insist on what it is that she wanted. So that's part of who we are before she's told that she's witchy. If excuse me, if she does it right, she, she was expressing her independence. Like she was, she was expressing her, her dislike, her independence. And that was not okay. Well, according to my grandma, that was not okay. Yep. And even though she's three or four, we'll say, you don't think that had any impact on her moving forward? Because I want you to clear something up for me and help me out a little bit. I've, I'm stuck on the need to be liked and then the concept of being a people pleaser because I'm a people pleaser and I've passed that along to my oldest as well. Is that it's kind one of and 1A? Is it kind of the same? You're a people pleaser because you want to be liked. Okay. Yeah. That's what I think because Bailey is very yeah. much that person. So I wonder if that was a formidable moment in her yeah. life, even though she doesn't remember it. Well, I mean... Let's be honest, like we've screwed our kids up, oh, right? Totally. Just like everybody 100%. does. And I, I was not aware. I didn't make changes until she was much older. Yeah. So I'm sure she got yeah. the people pleaser and the need to be like just as much for me as she did from you. I mean, it's, we've always said our kids are going to be in a, yeah. in a self-help seminar standing in front of a microphone Saying at some point. Saying it is one thing, but if you look at it as in the behavior of the people that did it, they behave in a way where they get, where they're getting, uh, uh, where they're getting appreciation, yeah, acknowledgement from other people. They they don't need to say you're a wicked person if you do it. That just kind of reaffirms it. Right. Like, oh, there's a consequence if I don't do this. But we actually teach our kids to behave in a way to get the same needs met as we get met, right? The other thing that I think about this that's really interesting, and this goes back to what this was your grandmother you said. This is my grandmother, yeah? yes. So, and and I've heard you say this too, T, about, you, about your parents, that there was this kind of strict, you got to toe the line with your behavior, right? Because we don't want to be seen as raising bad children. Oh, a hundred percent. Especially at church, man. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, do not make your parents look bad. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, because then they would, right? Because then they would be rejected, right? right? Yeah. So it's forced in in different ways uh, with, you know, within the youth. Right. And here's the really, here's the, like, I think this is cool. I think this is crazy. It shows up in so many different ways in business. And, and I love the fact that you brought up people pleaser because I think people have an easier time identifying with being a people pleaser than they do with a need to be liked, right? Like you could say someone, do do you feel like you're a people pleaser? And they'll be like, actually, yeah, I'm a people pleaser. But if you asked them, do you think you have a need to be liked? They'll probably be like, nah, I don't think I have have a need to be liked. It's more of a flowery way to say it. It's really like, oh yeah, of course I'm I'm a people people pleaser. pleaser, But need to be liked sounds like, I don't know if to me, it sounds a little negative. Like, oh, you have such a need. You're needy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it it, it is very much a, it is very much a people pleaser and you're people pleasing to get your needs met, right? Yeah. So in business, this shows up I mean, it's like a landmine for, for, for people to, to, there are, let's put it this way. There are multiple opportunities to get over your people pleasing and need to be liked as you grow your business. Right. So you gave the example of how this shows up in sales. I mean, there are multiple ways this shows up in sales, right? You don't pick up the phone to have a sales conversation because you, you, you don't know how to navigate the conversation so that you can be liked. Um, you're afraid of rejection, which means you're not liked. This shows up in the sales conversation with pushing back against someone saying, oh, I can't afford that, right? Right. You don't even think to say, well, wait a second. Is it that you don't have any money at all? You don't have any money for this. Right. You don't, you don't consider continuing the conversation because you're stopped by that people pleasing 
or that need to be liked. You don't yeah. want to be seen as the pusher or greedy or salesy or whatever whatever label you've given it. But actually asking those questions, you're being in service to yeah, people. Absolutely. And this, the other well, one of the other things that goes along with that is like with my parents, my especially well, no, my mother and my father are both. If they said no and you asked again, you got shit for it. Oh, no is no. No is no. Don't man. ask again. No. Don't you dare ask me again. No I already told sentence. you no, right? <laughs> Can I please stay out after dark? All the other kids are staying out and no. Right. It was oh, like, yeah. do not. I mean, you got more trouble for asking again. Persistence was just wiped out of you when you do that. Yeah. You can't fight for what you want. Right. Yes, that was my experience as well. Um, but it also shows up when you're transitioning from like, let's say you're the, you're the leader of your your company now. You have someone doing sales for you. I see a lot of team leaders worried about what their team thinks of them. So they spend all their time thinking that they're pleasing their team rather than doing what's in the best interest of the company. They're afraid to have the accountability conversation, right? They're afraid to hold people accountable to their KPIs. Yeah. They're afraid to hold the people accountable for following systems that they've agreed to. Um, they're, they're worried about what their team is going to think if they take a two-week vacation, right? They're worried about their team finding out how much money they make. So it shows up in really sneaky ways in in business at all levels right that like this there's no one level that's immune to to experience this like people pleasing or need to be liked it's very true and it shows up in pricing right we had a meeting um in december we had a meeting with one of our private clients um it was such a fun meeting because he's made so many incredible incredible things happen in his in his like it was such a it was anyway it was an amazing meeting. And because of, because of, because working of this, through this, because of working yeah. through this and we found it hanging out in a really sneaky place, right? Where, you know, the question we posed to him was, where are you playing small? Where are you still playing small in your business? And it came up around, I asked a question about pricing because nobody wants to talk about pricing. So I always have to right. ask this question, like, are you priced competitively? Do you feel like your price where we're at the level that, at the level of service that you provide to your clients? And he said, well, I'm priced competitively, but I find myself discounting my services. And inside I was like, yes, we struck like (laughs) we struck gold because this is a huge area of growth. Right. And it's because he's like, well, these people are nice. You know, I uh, and then you went into a whole teaching around, oh, you don't think it's nice to charge people. Right. But the underlying value is he didn't want to be perceived as a bad person. He wanted to be liked by these people. He wanted to be appreciated, so he thought to get that would be to, to discount his prices. And this is not something new in business. Like no. we talked to we talked to entrepreneurs, and he's been in business for a long time, right? Like we talked to entrepreneurs who consistently do this. Yep. they'll set their prices, and then they'll get on the phone with a prospect, and then they'll they'll quote a lower price than they actually set. That's true. And then they don't. Then they they have a hard time meeting their financial goal. Right. So it shows up in so many different places. And I got to say, as we were, as we were, because what we do is we took him through an exercise that helps him realize this. Yes. And we teach him how to change it. And we got to the part about what are the excuses that you make to justify this in your life? That had to be one of the longest list of excuses, I think, that I've ever seen. It was incredible how long and how deep it touched so many of those things. Like he had so many justifications in his mind for not doing it. Yeah. I, you could totally see why a person wouldn't do it. I mean, it just seemed ridiculous. Yeah. 
it was it was very easy for him to justify. Yeah. But really, he's stealing from himself, and he's he's um and his clients and his clients. Yeah, and his clients. Yeah, and his clients. Yeah. So be on the lookout. I think um we have a little. I th- so I, the question I'd be asking myself is if I was listening to this podcast is do I have a need to be liked? Am I a people pleaser? And we actually have a little handout that takes people through how to identify if they're a people pleaser, if, if the need to be liked is a part of their, a part of their MO. So we're going to go ahead and provide that in the notes in the link. So if you want to go ahead and download and, and do kind of a self-assessment, you can absolutely do that. Just a little bit of, a little bit of something to support you and seeing if this is something for that sure. might be an issue for you. Absolutely. It's great. It's a great idea. I can't believe we went this long, first of all, without mentioning Herbie on the podcast before. He's been such a part of our lives. And I didn't even meet Herbie. Have we never done we a have podcast ne- I, went, on I went through and did an entire search through all of my catalog of notes. I've got a notebook of over 600 and some pages and of notes. And nothing came up with well, Herbie. I know that I've wow. I've told the story via email on you David's have. behalf before because it's such yeah. a profound story. And Herbie is so dang cute. So I always include the right. picture of him in the email. Um, but I wasn't sure if we talked about it. Yeah, I don't ever time. recall in all the years we've done, we've got, you know, hundreds of episodes out there. Yeah. Never once have I seen Herbie. But one big takeaway for me this episode, aside from you guys clearing up the people pleaser versus <laughs> the need to be liked, is um, I spent about five minutes going through and Googling Italian swear words, which was amazing. And just, I'm not going to read them out loud <laughs> because I don't want people to be offended. But the the colorful language that the Italians speak, it's so beautiful even when they're yeah, insulting you. It is. So it just when David had that, I, I had to go off on a little tangent and Google Italian curse words uh, just to try and figure out what uh, his your your grandparents were saying, David. So that's where I was at with this episode. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, that could go down a whole different road. Yeah, it could. Exactly. It was interesting how I just gotta say this now that you mentioned this. It was okay. It was okay. not my father because my father really wasn't involved in this, but my mother and my grandmother and my grandfather, it was okay for them to swear in Italian. Uh, but if somebody was to actually say the F word in the house, you'd be like ostracized from the family. Oh, wow. Almost. Like, it was okay that, to say it in Italian, but not it, in They would not say it all the time in Italian, yeah, but yeah, they, yeah. you know, and yeah. That and spelling the word, right? Did you ever have that? Have your parents spell a word in front of you when you were a little kid so they didn't know what you were saying? Yeah. 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 I just thought I'd throw that in there. I love it. Bastards. Good stuff. Good stuff. All Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the need to be liked. It was uh, it was really fun doing that, doing this podcast. The the memories that come up uh, just from working through those things uh, to become the success that you want to become is it's really interesting. I hope you got as much out of it as we did uh, giving it. And let us know what you think. Right? Give us give us some notes. Right? Would you agree with it? Not agree with it? What was your experience? as a kid with the need to be liked and is it something that you're currently working through uh to move your business or your life forward we'd really be interested in knowing take care thanks for listening to the successful mind podcast if you like what you've heard and you want to know more go to lifeisnowinc.com